Alright, here we are back again. This is Didactic Mind, episode 65, The Fate of Empires. Very warm welcome to all of my subscribers from the site. A very warm welcome to all of my Podbean listeners. Uh, if you have not already subscribed to the website's email list, make sure you do so. I'll have a link in the description box uh, for this podcast. And if you have not subscribed to the podcast itself on Podbean, Make sure you hit the subscribe button. As always, make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe so that uh, you get the word out and uh, you are not the only one listening to my lovely dulcet voice on a Sunday afternoon or evening. Uh, <clears throat> this uh, podcast is uploaded a little bit later today than uh, usual uh, for basically because I was being a bit lazy and the time zones that I, the time zone that I am in has shifted. I am... Uh, as many of you are aware, I am now in the UK rather than the old country, and it is a it is a shift, no question. Um, <clears throat> where I am right now, it's much much colder than where I was, and uh, I've been here for about a month, and uh, it's nice to be back. It really is nice to be back in uh, the UK. You know, anarchy in the UK being what it is, but uh, no, I'm actually overall I'm enjoying myself. Uh, I'm keeping very very busy. Uh, I won't say doing what, but uh, I am busy, and I won't say where I am, but um, it's cold up here. Uh, it's uh, I'm not in London, but uh, and thank God for that, because London is no longer a British city, and has not been for a long time. But that being said, um, I wanted to start off with a couple of pointers, as always, about web safety and security. Um, <clears throat> If Unless you've been living under a rock for the last two weeks, you will know that uh, Google, Amazon Web Services, Apple, Facebook, Twitter, uh, and quite a few others are have moved from being mere platforms, giving people voices, to outright uh, enforcers of their own party orthodoxy. Uh, the so-called free speech service, uh, free speech IM or uh, what's it called, microblogging service known as Parler was kicked off of Amazon Web Services with like one day's notice because apparently they weren't censoring hateful content or something like that. Now this is ridiculous because obviously Twitter um, is on AWS as well, that's their, that's their platform. And there's a reason why it makes sense for companies like that to be on AWS because the responsiveness and speed of uh, cloud-based uh, hosting services is vastly greater than that of, you know, bare metal racks in your own office building or in your own um, uh, infrastructure data center. Now, <clears throat> that being that that is that is as it may be, but. When you're dealing with a bunch of left-wing, deeply left-wing SJWs buried deep within the hierarchies of all of these major tech companies, uh, Amazon, Twitter, Facebook, Google, Apple, all of them, all of them have been heavily infiltrated and converged by these people who are genuinely evil. I mean, I'm not just saying that in a hyperbolic sense. These, these people believe that they are good, but do things that are truly evil. They believe that they are so good that they have the moral right and the authority to tell you what to think. 
And we have a word for people like those. They're called authoritarians. In more extreme scenarios, they're called totalitarians. These are the people who believe that they have every right to rewrite history to suit their own narratives. The last person who did that most effectively was Stalin. Uh, he's best known for that, but he's not the only one. Mao, Pol Pot, um, and others, other left-wing communist dictators have done exactly the same thing. They excised things from history that they didn't like, they tried to destroy the past, and they tried to control the present and therefore the future by doing that. Well, that's exactly what the big tech titans are doing. So if you are still using these platforms, you are a fool. And <clears throat> you deserve no sympathy whatsoever if you continue to use things like Twitter, Facebook, um, and other such uh, left-wing converged sharing services for as the basis of your business or in order to get your message out to people. You need to be building your own platforms. <clears throat> now, I have shown you how to do that. There's a post of mine called Protect Yourself from Big Tech, which outlines it. I have that exact post linked in the description box, so make sure you read through it and you understand it. Um, it's not enough just to get rid of any connection to Facebook or Twitter, obviously. Um, we don't yet have real alternatives to Gmail or, well, we do. I mean, ProtonMail is very good, actually. But um, its free account gives you only 50 megabytes of space. Well, break away from the cult of free. Stop pretending that everything can be done for free. Start doing things. Um, start paying for proper services. If you want an email account that will link up to everything and will provide you with unlimited functionality, get your own hosting package, shared hosting uh, for WordPress. Uh, A2 Hosting has some great deals. I'll have the link in the description box there as well. And again, it's in the Big Tech um, post where you can get yourself um, a domain name, a website, and unlimited email accounts you know, with unlimited storage for about the cost of a cup of coffee every month. It's cheap. It's really not that bad once you look into it. So you're not stuck dealing with these people who feed off of your data. I mean, Google is using you as the product. That's a fact. If it's free, then you are the product. Um, make sure you switch over to Brave Browser, which doesn't track you. Make sure you start using DuckDuckGo instead of Google for all of your web searches. Make sure that you are surfing the web using a VPN. Uh, make sure that you're using Surfshark. Uh, Surfshark is a great VPN. I think it's uh, easily the best value VPN service out there. It's not. It doesn't have the most servers. Um, it's, I think, second ranked in terms of server numbers. Uh, but it is a very, very, very good VPN. It'll give you privacy and uh, a very fast internet access no matter where you are in the world and it will protect your identity your IP address from people around you again I will perform an experiment for you I am currently using a VPN and here is my exact VPN address um, if I wanted to trace the IP I can do so so here is my here is my exact VPN address right now my IP address right now is 176.107.185.132 and if you were to try to trace that you would find uh, that I am located apparently somewhere in Kiev 
That's where I'm supposed to be right now, according to my IP address. I'm not there. I'm nowhere close to that. As I said at the beginning of this podcast, I'm nowhere close to where my IP address says I'm supposed to be. And whenever I post, whenever I upload a new podcast or a new, uh, you know, anything pretty much, I send an email, um, I will do so through a VPN connection so that my IP address cannot be traced back to me. This is the basic bare minimum security feature that you must be using right now. So make sure you get a two-year subscription to Surfshark. It's like $2.50 a month. It's very cheap. Uh, again, cost of a cup of coffee every month. And you will have significant, not 100% guarantee, but significant protection against big tech. You can make a lot of these changes for very little to no money. And the changes will make a world of difference. They will destroy big tech's stranglehold over you and your data. They can't use it against you anymore. So stop letting them. Stop letting them. Google uses you as its main source of revenue. I mean, last time I checked, and it was a while ago, uh, well over 80% of their revenues still come from their search engine. They're incredibly vulnerable with respect to search. It's their bread and butter. And the moment you deny them that right, they lose money. And I mean, the backlash is already beginning around the world. Uh, Australia is threatening to um, fine Google for using proprietary news feeds without permission. And Google is retaliating by saying, if you, you know, if you start making us pay for these news feeds, we're going to cut off search services in these parts of the world. And the Australians like, do your worst. Now, I don't like Australia's government very much for a number of reasons. Most, most, um, most uh, recently because the Australian government has decided to imprison millions of its own people under house arrest. But in this respect, at least, I agree with them completely. Uh, Australia may well be a police state, which it is, but at least they understand or are beginning to understand now what the Chinese and the Russians have understood for years, which is that it is a really, really dumb idea to let these predatory big tech companies into your home turf because they will do everything they can to exploit you. You, you personally, as an individual living, breathing human being, they will do their best to exploit you. So don't let them. So that's the sales pitch out of the way. Uh, make sure you get Surfshark, make sure you get uh, A2 hosting, make sure you decouple yourself from big tech. Uh, eventually, someday, I hope, I will have a guide uh, that lays out comprehensively how to detach yourself from big tech completely. And I do mean completely. I mean, you can get rid of Microsoft, too, uh, if you want. And uh, you can stop using their horrible, atrocious Windows product. You can use Linux. I mean, I'm, I do everything on Linux except play games. If I could run the Master Chief collection from Steam, um, you know, via a Steam layer on my Linux PC, I would just get rid of my Windows partition and reclaim like 150 gigabytes worth of space. Um, I'd gladly do that. I can't do that right now. It's uh, it's not 100%. But it's it'll get there over time. I think it will get there. So anyway, um, I want to talk about the end of empires, the fate of empires. And the reason I want to talk about that is because of what happened this week. Now, Let's be honest, there's no getting past this. I was wrong. Uh, I was completely and totally wrong. 
I predicted for months, for about six months before the election on November 3rd of 2020, that his most illustrious, noble, august, benevolent, and legendary celestial majesty, the god-emperor of mankind, Donaldus Triumphus Magnus Astra, the first of his name, the Lion of Midnight, the Chaddest of Chads, and the Lord bless him and preserve him, would win re-election in a landslide. I expected him to win with north of 350 electoral votes. Uh, that is not what happened. And one thing we can be sure of is that if the media says that Joe Biden won in a landslide, that's the exact opposite of what happened. Uh, I am, as, as most of you know, certainly those of you who listen to me regularly know, I have so much hatred and contempt for the mainstream media right now, I don't even bother disguising my view about them. I really do think they deserve one-way helicopter rides. Um, I really do think that most journalists these days deserve to be lined up in front of military tribunals and subjected to expedited field trials for treason. And you know what the penalty is for treason. I don't hide that opinion anymore. I don't bother. Um, I think that most journalists in the West are traitorous, lying, scum-sucking sacks of shit that deserve nothing less than capital punishment at this point because of the number of lies and the amount of bullshit they spew and the amount of nonsense that they keep telling the rest of us. The lies and the, 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 the mendacity of these people, the sheer brazenness of them in pretending to be objective journalists while at the same time lecturing to us about uh, how terrible the Kung flu is and how awful nationalism is and how uh, atrocious and appalling it is to love your own country and love your own people and love your own race is so disgusting and so infuriating by now that there is no point in pretending that these people deserve any mercy whatsoever. These are evil people. And as Christians, we are commanded to hate evil. Now, we can pray for them. We can hope and pray that they will not, you know, that they will repent their evil ways and somehow, someday, turn back to the light. Um, it's been known to happen. I mean, there are some strong Christians out there among the journalistic class. And those people, you can probably trust. I mean, they actually go to church. They actually tithe. They actually... Um, believe in the word of the Lord, and they try to tell the truth. There are a few of them out there. I'm not painting all journalists with such a broad brush. I do think that there are some legitimately honest journalists out there, but not many. Um, if they are telling us, however, as a general rule, if the journalistic classes are telling us that Joe Biden won in a landslide, it's the exact opposite of what happened. Just as if they are telling us, in the UK, let's say, that Kung Flu is the most terrible disease and death rates are going up and deaths are going up and infection rates are going up and we all need to stay locked down and there's a terrible new strain on the way or rather it's already amongst the population and we all need to stay locked down forever you can pretty safely assume that's the exact opposite of the truth that the new strain isn't that dangerous that deaths may well statistically be going up but we have no way of knowing how they counted um, and that overall infections Maybe they're going up. Who knows? I mean, we already know that the RT-PCR test applied to the Kung flu uh, through the Corman-Drosten paper has some serious methodological flaws. It has a serious problem with generating false positives. We know this. This is not news. 
um, or at least it shouldn't be. But Western media aren't reporting on this. In order to know that this RT-PCR test, uh, for the Kung flu at least, as applied using the Corman-Drosten papers technique, is flawed, didn't come from Western journalists. That actually came from RT, Russia Today. That's where I get a lot of my news from these days because I'm so sick and tired of listening to uh, any Western news outlet. I just don't bother anymore. So what are we to do in an era where everything that we believe, everything that we are told is a lie? This is one of the, 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 the most obvious and clear signs of an empire in rapid decline. When the disconnect between the elites and the ordinary people, the, the reality of daily life, is so vast and so insurmountable that you might as well be living in two completely separate worlds. And that's exactly what it has been happening for decades. The, the separation has been growing greater and greater. This is not the first time we've seen this phenomenon. Um, Charles Murray, uh, the, the man behind uh, the bell curve, and, uh, you know, Charles F. Murray and Richard Herrnstein wrote a book called The Bell Curve, which was hugely controversial back in the day, but honestly, I mean, its conclusions have never really been debunked um, or di disputed. Uh, Charles Murray said in that book, essentially, there are irre irreducible differences in intelligence between, among other things, um, uh, white Americans and black Americans, and you can't get rid of them. These are, these are hereditary, non- uh, or irreducible differences. You cannot get rid of them. Whites have an IQ of 100 to 103, depending on which population you're measuring. Blacks have an average IQ in America of 85. You can't change that. He wrote another book um, some years later, and he was, I mean, by that point, it was hugely controversial, but, you know, no matter. I mean, he's an academic and a pretty brave one, actually. Uh, he wrote another book called uh, Coming Apart, and he wrote, uh, I think, I can't remember if it was before or after that one, but he wrote uh, one called Losing Ground, which was about how America's poorest people were being left behind by, in spite of all of the trillions upon trillions of dollars in welfare programs that have been spent upon America's poorest, on black Americans, on, um, on, uh, indigenous, indigenous Americans, they were falling farther and farther behind. So he wrote this book called Coming Apart, in which he talked about how Increasingly, the elites are sequestered in these bubbles. Um, they go to all the same schools. They marry among each other. They think all the same way. They all read the same newspapers. They live in the same neighborhoods. They kind of gravitate towards each other. And they all think exactly alike. They all have this one pattern of thinking, of, of acting. I know people like this. I mean, I've, I've been around them in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. and Georgetown or on, on Long Island where the super rich uh, have their summer and summer getaway houses. Um, I have sat on, uh, on the, the north shore of Oyster Bay uh, in you know, Long Island. I'm not going to say where, but near Oyster Bay itself and looked across the sound and uh, I've seen Billy Joel's summer house over there. I mean, uh, there are there are a number of places 
all along the coastline where you can do that. There's this huge long stretch of uh, the north shore of Long Island where you can do that. Uh, you can look across the bay at an island, and that's where these ultra-rich people have their houses. And that neighborhood or those neighborhoods are incredibly wealthy. That's where all the rich and the powerful live. Multi-millionaires, billionaires, they all live out there. And if you listen to them talk, and I have listened to them talk, they all think that anyone outside of their little bubble is a right-wing nutcase, which is hilarious because when I've been at those parties, you know, I have to keep quiet because by their definition, I am a right-wing nutcase. Actually, by just about anybody's definition, I'm a right-wing nutcase, but, you know, that's fine. Um, they are totally disconnected from the people. And I remember in a, in a separate conversation um, years ago, you know, back in 2016, actually, I was sitting uh, on my aunt's porch, I mean, on the, on the, on the deck near the swimming pool. Um, she lives in a very affluent suburb, suburb again, I'm not going to say where. Uh, but she lives, she lives in this, in, again, another bubble area. And she asked me, I, I wrote a post, I wrote a post about this called the elites are blind arbiter. There's a quote from, uh, Halo five, uh, Halo two, excuse me. Um, in which she, you know, she was kind of needling me. She was like, who would you vote for if uh, you were voting? And I was like, so, you know, she really wanted to get a rise out of me. And I just, I was enjoying the sunshine because it's a beautiful June day. I was just like, oh, this is the life. I was sitting back, leaning back with my glasses on, sunglasses, just enjoying the sunshine. And I was like, okay, fine. You know what? If you're going to, if you're going to try to poke the bear, the bear's going to respond. So I turned to her and I said, I would vote for Donald Trump. And that was the end of it. <laughs> that sparked off an hour and a half of like furious discussion where I had my aunt, my uncle, and to some extent my cousin all attacking me and saying, how can you possibly vote for this reprobate, this lunatic, this idiot, this, this moron, this, this unhinged psychopath? And I'm sitting there going, you guys do realize who he represents. You you do realize that he re represents the ordinary people that you all no longer see. Well, that's the reality that you see around the Western world. Now in the United States, we are watching the disintegration of a once united nation. And it was never really one nation. That's the thing. That's That's what most people don't realize. All the way from the beginning, with the 13 colonies, it was actually 13 separate confederations of tribes that came together under one banner, under the belief, that, as it turned out, mistaken and misguided belief, that the United States of America would permit maximum freedom compatible with law and order. That has not happened. That dream died with the war between the states. Most people don't realize this. The war between the states was not a war over slavery. Not really. It was, slavery was certainly one of the driving issues, but it wasn't really the core of the, of the problem. The core of the problem was states' rights. The southern states felt all along that their rights were neglected and that their, their way of life was disrespected by the north. If you look, if you actually look, ignore the rhetoric and you actually look at the constitution adopted by the Southern Confederacy. 
the similarities between it and the original Constitution with the Bill of Rights, adopted by the entire USA as a whole in the 1780s, in the late 1780s, early 1790s, is astonishing. Their president was limited to strictly to one six-year term. Their representatives and their senators were limited in terms. They could not do, uh, their politicians could not do a lot of what had already become accepted practice among the richer and wealthier states, where politicians could essentially rule and live like kings. That wasn't okay anymore. We are now coming to the point where a second rupture is basically inevitable. America fought a war in which 650,000-odd people died, and that's on the battlefields, never mind, you know, of starvation and disease and, um, and, and just horrible, horrible things uh, that happened as a result of the war. This is just what we know of as the death toll. America fought a war to reunite itself as one nation. But those scars have never healed. If you talk to any real Southerner, he will tell you. Yankees won, Southerners zero, half time. That's what he'll tell you. That's the level of hatred and animosity that real South Rons have towards those Yankees. I mean, they'll tell you as well. What's the difference between a Yankee and a damn Yankee? A Yankee always goes back up north eventually. A damn Yankee stays and becomes a carpetbagger. Uh, Hillary Clinton is the very definition of a carpetbagger. Um, she is quite rightly despised by the Southerners. Um, they can't stand her. And again, you know, I, I really can't blame them. So what are we looking at in America right now? The results of that election could not be more clear. America is now a country where a vote no longer matters. We now know beyond any shadow of any doubt that big tech, big media, and the Democrats, the Democrats as I call them now, will not permit a Republican victory. Not going to happen. We already know that there were statistically impossible vote counts coming in for Joe Biden in Pennsylvania, in Georgia, uh, in Wisconsin, in Michigan, we already know of one specific county in Michigan where 6,000 votes went to Joe Biden because of a quote-unquote flaw in the Dominion voting machines, uh, which when finally corrected would have resulted in a 6,000 vote swing over to Donald Trump. Those 12,000, that 12,000 vote difference would have led to a 1,207 thereabouts, uh, vote gap between Biden and Trump. And that's before recounts just because of an error in one county. And that one county, the error in that one voting machine, cost Donald Trump a state that he won handily in 2016. Now, you can argue, and I would agree with you, that Trump lost the election because he ignored white men who were his primary voting base in 2016. That is true, to an extent. It is absolutely true to a very large extent that Donald Trump, well, that's no, a contradiction in terms of it. It is true to a very large extent. You can't have an absolute truth that is true to an extent. It's, it's, that's, that's stupid. That's bad English. My bad. Um, 
it is true to a considerable extent that Donald Trump pandered to blacks, Hispanics, and others. Let's be clear about something. Black America has very, very visibly separated itself from white America. It doesn't want to be part of the same country. Black America no longer considers itself to be bound by the same rules as white people are. So they should be let, they should just let, you know, just let them go. Just tell them to go. If they want their own country, good. Let them set it up. Give them land. Give them whatever they look for, you know, a few hundred billion dollars in, in, in seed money and just tell them, okay, you know, build your own country. Goodbye. But don't come crying to us when it fails, which it inevitably will. Asian Americans vote Democrat in unbelievable numbers. I mean, Donald Trump made so many outreach efforts to Indian Americans, and <clears throat> which is weird because he's been actually incredibly effective at stopping Indian Americans or Indians from coming into America. And that's a good thing, by the way. That's a very good thing. Um, America does not need more Hindus. It does not need more Indians. I know. I mean, I've dealt with them for many years. Indians are wonderful people. They're very productive and hardworking in their own country, but they're not Americans. They never were. They never will be. So stop pretending that they will be. Um, the Asian Americans, of course, tend to be the highest earning and highest, uh, most successful group in terms of wealth and income in the United States. They live in these segregated bubbles, which by definition, they put themselves there. That's not to say all Indians or all Pakistanis or all Asians who come to the U.S. are highly successful. They're not. If you go to um, the town of Jamaica, basically the, the, the small city of Jamaica in Queens, you'll see what I mean. That's a heavily black and Asian neighborhood. And it's not a nice place to be. You don't want to spend time there. Whereas if you go to, um, what's it called? Is it Bayside? I forget exactly what it's called, uh, but it's a it's a very very nice um, neighborhood in Brooklyn, where if you go there, it's majority white and Asian, really nice place. Just one um, one neighborhood or whatever one uh, one I forget what it's called, not borough, but uh, one it's it's a neighborhood uh, uh, over from from that area is a, a very, you know, it's like an 80% black neighborhood. It's horrible. It's just, it's an, an awful place to be. This is the reality of America. It's segregating itself into various little armed camps almost. This is, these are all the symptoms of a dying empire. Uh, John Glob, Pasha Glob, wrote about this in a book called The Fate of Empires. And actually, he's not the only one to write a book with that title. There's also, I think, um, Arthur Hubbard. Um, yeah, Arthur Hubbard. Uh, I've got it somewhere on my Kindle reading list. Um, I'll have the, the, the various books linked in the description box so you can go look them up yourself later on. But all of these are signs of a disintegrating empire. You have a military that cannot fight. The U.S. military has not won, actually won, a war outright since World War II. And... This is going to offend a lot of Americans, but, you know, suck it up. Um, America and the West did not win World War II. Not really. Not in the European theater, anyway. In the Pacific theater, yes, absolutely. Not in the European theater. 
You know who really won World War II? The Russians. They lost 20 million of their own people, slaughtered and, and starved and brutalized and frozen uh, in the war in the East because of Germany. They, they lost more than any other nation in World War II. They stopped the Germans cold. They sacrificed with their blood and every inch of ground they lost. They took back and then some. The Russians won the Second World War and they know it. And they have spent the last 70 years trying to get the Western world to understand that. The West doesn't want to. Like, okay, fine. I mean, what are you going to do? But the reality is that the Russians bled Germany dry on the Eastern Front. The gut punch through Italy into, um, into Germany's uh, southern flank and the invasion of Normandy were very, very helpful, no question. I mean, they accomplished a great deal. But the true reason why the West won World War II is because of Russia. Now, ever since then, America's military has failed to win any single war in which it has fought. A, like real war. I'm talking not just, you know, small, relatively small scale military engagements like in Grenada and in Panama, um, or even Gulf War One. I. I mean, Gulf War One was not a victory, outright victory. It did not result in the destruction of Saddam Hussein's regime. It was an incredibly effective show of military power, but it did not result in outright victory. It resulted in America basically saying we won and then bringing its troops home. That's, that's fine. I mean, that's, that's good. America didn't get bogged down in impossible nation-building exercises. But every single time America has gone to war against anybody in the last 75 years, it has made catastrophic error after stupid mistake, resulting in either a stalemate or a massive loss that America has since tried to spin into some sort of strategic victory. The, the really dumb one, I mean, like by far the stupidest one of the last 25 years was the bombing of Kosovo. I, I mean, <sighs> I have lived in America for 12 years. I have lived in Russia for over a year. I love both peoples. I, I truly do. I am extremely fond of Russians. I uh, adore their culture and their, 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 aesthetic sense, their their dark, fatalistic sense of humor, their ruggedness, their, the, the, the character deep in their souls. These are wonderful, wonderful people. I love the Russians. Um, I can't say enough good things about them. And I love Americans, especially white Americans. I love being around Americans. I, I, most of the rest of the world finds America, find Americans really annoying. I don't. To me, you know, America gave me almost everything. Uh, I, I feel a, a tremendous debt of gratitude toward America and Americans. And I feel as though I was, I, I, I received this incredible gift to go to America and live there in peace, in prosperity. Nobody bothered me. You know, people didn't, people didn't treat me any differently because of my skin color or my accent or my background. I was accepted. And, and people treated me just as really, really nicely and really well. So I have nothing against Americans myself. A lot of Europeans do for some irrational reason, but I don't. Um, but I can't think of anything dumber than Americans bombing Christian Serbs to defend 
Albanian Muslims. I, I, I mean, that one event, more than anything else, destroyed about 20 years' worth of built-up goodwill on the part of the Russians towards America. The Russians really, really hated America after that. And that distrust and mistrust has remained ever since. The Russians do not see America as an ally, and it didn't have to be this way. It did not have to be like this. The Russians have seen their empire collapse. They understand that empires are the undoing of nations. They see America going down that exact same road, and they're like, what the hell are you people doing? Why are you doing this? So if we look at what America is today, in a lot of ways, we're looking at a parallel of what happened to the Soviet Union towards the end of the 1980s. The, the Soviet Union basically ran out of money, uh, ran out of food, ran out of markets, and ran out of support to prop up their failing economy. Uh, they realized that reform was desperately needed, but no amount of incremental reform could fix their system. In a lot of ways, this is parallel to the American experience, except America has a very different situation. America is the pre preeminent world power, but its military is a massively expensive paper tiger. It can't win wars. Its carrier fleets are useless now that the Russians and the Chinese have hypersonic missiles that come from, you know, straight down through the atmosphere, come straight down at unbelievable speeds and can wipe out entire carrier fleets. You can't defend against that. The Russians have made sure that no American fleet can approach anywhere near their shores to land troops. The Chinese have made sure that they now own the Straits of uh, the, the, the Taiwan Strait, and they own the East and South China Seas. They know that they are dealing with a weak puppet president, fake president actually, he's not even the real president. They know that they are dealing with a nation that is bitterly divided against itself. And within the US, what you see is an elite class that has n had no understanding of just how much they are hated by the rest of the country. The reason why both the Democrats and the Republic, the Republicans, uh, responded so violently to a not particularly violent protest on um, on uh, the 6th of January, you know, the storming of the hill, as it were, is because they never thought that the people would break into their little inner sanctum and show up and, and explain, hey, by the way, you work for us, not the other way around. That protest wasn't actually that violent. If you look at the video, don't, you know, ignore all the bullshit, ignore the media spin, ignore the lies. Like I said, those people need to be taken up in helicopters and given one-way trips um, in, you know, one-way helicopter rides or um, sentenced via military tribunals. They really do. Ignore their spin. Ignore their bullshit. Look at the videos themselves. They're out there on BitChute, Rumble, etc. You can find them. What happened? A bunch of people walked in. I mean, you can actually see videos of that. The, what's his name? The, the Viking Chewbacca guy? That guy? Um, they, they were having casual conversations with Capitol Police. The Capitol Police didn't have their weapons drawn. They were just like, okay, guys, you know, be peaceful, be cool, everybody be chill. Don't, don't, don't break anything. Please don't, please don't make a mess. And the Capitol protesters were like, okay, hey, we're just here to, we're just here to check the place out. That's all we're doing. We're not really here to riot or, or burn anything down. Four people died 
one of them supposedly a police officer, one of them definitely an Air Force veteran. And by the way, the guy who shot her, a police officer, disappeared all of a sudden. We can't find any record of him. Why is that? What's going on there? Why do, what do people have to hide? The, the politicians are terrified of the people. They don't want to be around them. They, they, the, the one good thing, the, the, the greatest thing that President Trump did, and I genuinely believe that he is the best president the U.S. has had since Andrew Jackson. The greatest thing that President Trump did was to rip the mask off the establishment. Because now the American people know, without question, the Democrats are after absolute power, and they've gotten it. They have it now. The Republicans are useless. They're spineless, pathetic weasels and cowards. They cannot be relied upon for anything. They will betray their own people at every turn. They now understand, or millions of them at least, understand that elections are pointless. What's the point of voting when your vote can be overturned by millions of illegally harvested ballots that come in the dead of night, swamp the official registries, and all of a sudden you have these statistically impossible vote dumps that go for the, the, for the Democrats. What do you do when you no longer have a voice? Well, in any empire that you care to name, that's usually a sign of revolution and civil war. That's exactly what happened with the Roman Republic. It's exactly the same thing. The distance between the elites and the people grew so great that a Caesar had to come along. There were, most people think that, you know, Caesar was the culmination of the movement. He actually wasn't. There were a number of attempts before Caesar came along to wrest power back from the Senate and put it in the hands of the people again. One of them was the Gracchi, the, the, the Gracchus brothers. They came along and tried to do that. Another was Sulla, although Sulla, uh, I mean, he was, he, he, he really was a self-interested dictator, uh, as far as I can tell. Look, my, my Roman history is not great, but this is my understanding of things. If I am wrong, then please correct me. Um, Caesar, on the other hand, built his power base directly from the people. He was very clear about that. His grain laws were designed specifically to give grain, and therefore money, back to the people of Rome. His neutering of the Senate was a deliberate act to show that he no longer relied upon these uh, gelded aristocrats to sustain his power base. The empire came about as a result of ruptures between the ruling class and the ruled, as it were. Um, the reforms of Gaius Marius, one of Rome's greatest generals, uh, made that inevitable because the reforms of the, the Marian reforms essentially channeled the loyalty of the legions directly to their uh, to their dukes uh, or imperator, um, their their general basically, rather than to the senate and the well, to the to the Roman state. That is the situation we find ourselves in right now. The American military was supposed to be the last resort the last check, the last balance against overweening tyrannical power. They failed in their duty. Now, I don't know exactly why. I don't know, but I have it on fairly good authority that this is the reason why. I'm not going to say who told me this. I'm not going to say who told him or her that. 
Um, but apparently this comes from a source somewhere within the vast hierarchy of government. I have no idea where. I'm not going to waste my time speculating. But this is fairly common knowledge by this point, actually. Uh, basically, what happened was Trump, the God Emperor, went to the generals and the admirals and held a war council in, um, in the White House and said, we need to use the military to overturn this thing. And the, all of them basically said, no, we're not doing that. Um, now, was that correct for them to do so? No, it wasn't. Because their commander-in-chief is their commander-in-chief. He's supposed to be the one telling them what to do. They're not supposed to be telling him what to do. But here's the problem. Most of the top rank and file within the military today is a product of Obama's very deliberate uh, gelding of the military top brass. The people who rose to the positions of admiral and general from 2009 to 2016 under Barack Hussein Odamas, the light worker, were the political types. They weren't the seasoned war fighters. They weren't the hardened leaders of men. These were the politicians. Every general, every admiral has to be a politician of some kind to get up the ladder. I mean, it's the nature of, you know, climbing that greasy pole. But these were the people who were really good at showing people how, like how green their military bases were, like in terms of CO2 reductions and stuff, or how diverse their platoons and their, uh, their companies and their brigades were, or how many women they had under uniform, or um, how much community outreach effort they had done, not how good their troops were at killing people and breaking things. That's the one thing that they ignored. And apparently the five-sided wind tunnel, the Pentagon, the, the puzzle palace as it's known, is full of these political cretins. These people had access to the same information, many of them, that the God Emperor did. They refused to execute their oaths of office or not the oaths of office, but their oaths, to uphold, to protect, preserve, and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. They failed. The National Guard might, might have been able to do something, but it's very unlikely, because the National Guardsmen were from all 50 states, or you know certainly the, the 48 lower states, uh, and from Puerto Rico. And they were all vetted fairly heavily to make sure that none of them had bad think tendencies, that none of them were these evil right-wing extremists. So between 25 and 65,000, depending on who you ask, I have no idea what the real number is, but somewhere in that range, it was a huge range, uh, troops were stationed in the capital for the inauguration of the fake president. And he is a fake president. I mean, nobody thinks that he's legitimate other than the Democrats. But that's the situation we find ourselves in. At every single possible level, the government failed to act to deal with a plainly fraudulent election. 
every single level, every single check and balance failed. That is the signature, the, the clearest possible signature of an empire headed for imminent destruction. You could not be given a clearer sign that an empire is headed for utter and total destruction. When the government that is supposed to safeguard a transfer of power, or in this case a continuation of power, fails to do that. You know what happened in the UK when, pretty much the last time that, ha that, that took place, when the ruler basic, or the, the, the ruling elites more or less ignored the will of the people? Well, a king lost his head. And the Glorious Revolution was launched, and Oliver Cromwell came to power, and uh, England operated as a very repressive police state throughout his entire life. Uh, and it resulted in the return of monarchy afterwards. This, these fake, or these manipulations of votes have real and dreadful and terrible consequences. There is a video of President Vladimir Putin of Russia from 2015. I'll link it in the description box. It's a great video. Standing in front of the UN Security Council after uh, Odamas launched the, the strikes against um, Syria, got the US entangled in yet another useless foreign war. He stood in front of the UN I think it was either the UN Security Council or the UN General Assembly. If it was the UNGA, then you know, it's just a bigger room. But anyway, he said, essentially, Yes, прошу вам, вы сейчас понимаете, что вы делали? Basically, I mean, that's not, those aren't his exact words in Russian. I'm just kind of transliterating on the fly. He basically said, do you realize now what you have done? That was essentially his, his message to the UN. Do you understand what you have done? You have completely destabilized the Middle East. You have destroyed peace and prosperity and harmony in an area where you should not have interfered. You should not have intervened. Look at the results. Six, five, six years later, Massive refugee crisis, Syrians streaming across the borders into Europe, pouring into Europe itself, causing no end of trouble for Europeans and for their Arab neighbors. Syrians flooding into Turkey. The Turks don't want them. Syrians flooding into Jordan, into Lebanon, into Iraq. Nobody wants them there. Human misery on a massive scale. This is the direct result of U.S. foreign policy, of incredibly dumb and misguided U.S. foreign policy. Now imagine that same foreign policy used in America, where Americans have to deal with somebody who they don't want, who isn't, who does not have a legitimate claim to power, coming to power and basically passing a bunch of orders, a bunch of laws and a bunch of really stupid shit into law, quote-unquote, that cost people jobs and prosperity at a time when both are in short supply. This cannot end well. The people 
half the country, roughly speaking, the people of roughly half the country, have lost their voice. They no longer have any way to influence the course of events. They can no longer say at the federal level, we don't like what you're doing. The Democrats have complete control of the Senate. They have complete control of the House by a narrow margin. They have the White House. They have a five or a four-five um, minority on the Supreme Court. John Roberts is not a liberal, not exactly. He's actually a creature of the establishment. He will he will almost always vote to preserve the the the, the established way of doing things. He will not vote to overturn an existing. Um, established way of things. He will always vote to preserve the current structures of power. And that's what he is. He's a creature of the swamp. Uh, maybe there is compromising information on him from, you know, the, well, from various dark and shadowy circles. I don't know. But I wouldn't bet against it. Um, when you have this situation, you have an empire ripe for collapse. And that's exactly what's happening before our eyes. We are fated, you and I, to watch an empire crumbling to pieces in front of us. And it's not a pretty sight. You're seeing the vast overreactions of a threatened political class lashing out at the very people who put them there. You're seeing, as we speak, you know, Republicans and Democrats colluding to pass uh, new so-called anti-terrorism, domestic terrorism laws that would essentially rip up the First Amendment. I mean, the First Amendment is basically dead anyway at this point. Big tech has ensured that. But you see all of these power structures being erected to stop Americans from being free, to stop them from having their own country you see the fake president signing into law executive orders that have thrown open the southern border, that have reversed four years of hard-won gains that locked down, to some extent at least, both illegal and legal immigration into the USA. Now, if, you can't, if, if, you, if, you, if a country doesn't have borders, it's not a country anymore. And the sad thing is that Increasingly, Western people are being brainwashed into believing that this is a good thing. There's a, um, a poll in the Independent the other day. It's going to appear, it's going to appear in tomorrow's great Monday Duck browser buster. It's, uh, uh, the Independent is a very left-wing British newspaper, but, you know, at least they admit that they're more or less left-wing. I mean, not really, but, yeah, they are basically a left-wing rag. Um, but the, the, the headline reads something like, less than half of Britons surveyed want immigration to be reduced. What's wrong with the Brits? I mean, have they lost their minds? Do they not understand that um, their country isn't their own? I, you know, I, where I am right now, I can walk the streets and I can see there's a very, very clear divide between white Brits and non-white, well, not Brits. They're not British. They pretend they're British, but they're not British. Um, they... They walk differently, they act differently, they talk differently, they, 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 they treat you differently. Uh, if you walk into a bank branch these days in Britain, you know, you'll be lucky if you get anything done. And most of the people who you deal with are not British. Um, this is a very weird state of events, but this is, this is the reality. This is what we're, 
what we have to deal with. So I want to leave you, you know, in the last few minutes that I have here with some thoughts uh, about how to deal with this. First, don't get black-pilled. Don't despair. Yes, the times ahead of us are very bleak and very dark. Um, I look with considerable envy upon the, the, the wave of success, uh, global economic success of peace and prosperity that my dad's career rode on. I benefited enormously from this as a child. Meanwhile, you know, 15 years thereabouts into my career, I have suffered from three layoffs. Uh, I have had to leave everything behind. I've had to start over again. And I'm in the middle of trying to put the pieces of my shattered life back together. And here I am, you know, stuck in lockdown in a country where internships and jobs are becoming more and more scarce. And we're in a situation where the, the British government itself is putting the boot directly upon the throat of the British people and is, has shown no signs whatsoever of letting up, is quite happy to continue to strangle the economy and destroy uh, everything good about the country. But, you know, this is what we have to deal with. So stop wishing it away and start learning how to fight back. I've given you some ideas about how to fight back. Start using them. Pray regularly. Pray for guidance, pray for help. Uh, most of all, though, show gratitude. Yes, it's a horrible time. That's true. But be grateful that you're here to live through it and fight through it. You've been given a chance to show up for battle. That's a wonderful thing. I don't know about you, but I'm happy about it. As, as black-pilled as a lot of this stuff sounds, I'm actually excited for the future. I'm excited to see what comes next because the corrupt establishment, these corrupt old fools, these liars, these hypocrites, these, 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 these broods of vipers could not meet with destruction fast enough for my liking. I cannot wait for God to rain down his wrath and, uh, and, and judgment upon, you know, Gomorrah on the Hudson and Sodom out in Hollywood, you know, in, 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 in the Hollywood Hills. I can't wait for that to happen. I'm really looking forward to it. But in the meantime, we carry on. So don't let yourself despair. Don't let yourself become too black-pilled. Fight on. Be happy with what you have. Be grateful for what you have because you have a lot, actually, if you think about it. And don't forget that empires always end. We are, we are living through the end of an imperial life cycle. China is not going to be a successful empire. They, they, they aim to be an empire, but they're not going to be. Maybe I'll address that in a future podcast. But anyway, for now, we are at the end of an imperial age. Don't worry too much about what comes next. Just worry about what comes tomorrow for you. Keep your head up. Stay strong. Pray frequently. Be happy for what you have, and we're going to get through this. And we're going to come out the other side being a lot better than our, you know, our enemies and uh, our opponents on the left who hate themselves and hate God. I'm going to leave it at that. Um, be sure to like, comment, share, and subscribe. And as always, uh, thank you for listening in. 
This has been Didactic Mind, episode 65, and this is Didact, signing off.